And so if you're wearing this while you're asleep and you're having some dreams, this is a way to set having a pretty, you know, rough sketch of what your dreams might have looked like. And I think that's one of the killer consumer apps. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next-level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. If you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. On this episode, we learn from Peter Zing. Peter is a keynote speaker and writer on transhumanism and co-founder of Transhumanism Australia and Transhuman Coin. He is on the Singularity University expert faculty on transhumanism and emerging technologies and previously worked on global emerging technology initiatives at KPMG and Deloitte, including on generative AI, Web3, and extended reality. You can find more on Peter's work at transhumanism.com.au and on Twitter at Peter Xing, which is at P-E-T-E-R-X-I-N-G. In this episode, Peter shares insights on transhumanism, brain-computer interfaces, cognitive offloading, AI agents, and far more. So keep listening to learn from Peter's great insights into our future of amplifying cognition. Peter, amazing to have you on the show. Uh, Hey, Ross. Great to see you. How you been? Wonderful. Thanks. So you're... Into transhumanism, what what does that mean? Yes, I know, right? It's a, it's an ism, so it's kind of scary. But really, you know, transhumanism is a global movement of millions of people that want to use science and technology to transcend their human limitations. So whether it's enhancing their intelligence, right? We're always already using Chat GPT to get a bit smarter out of there. I um, mean, spending our healthy human lifespans. So you know, the narrative of you just meant to grow up and have some kids and then just die off and pass away. We're starting to challenge that with science today to see how we can reverse the aging process itself. And uh, and finally, uh, it's about super well-being. So how do we just not live long and be smart, but also be fulfilled in our Maslow's hierarchy of needs and make sure the technology is available for everyone? So when we go beyond ourselves, I mean, obviously we don't want to dig down into the body-mind divide, which doesn't really exist. But part of it's around augmentation of the body, part of it's around augmentation of the mind. This, So what are some of the major domains where we currently are working on transcending uh, the, uh, the mind as we've known it up to now? Yeah, I mean, the mainstream appeal of it is that 
we're saying that you're already transhuman, right? Ever since we invented technology, we've always started to augment our abilities, whether it's fire as an invention, clothing, and with electronics, you know, we're seeing people walking around almost like zombies with their smartphones, right? Kind of like ruining their necks, which is great for physiotherapists, especially mine. But as we evolve, that technology is going to get closer and closer and integrated with our bodies. The wearable devices that we have, like the AirPods that we have, are starting to augment our ability to interact with technology and with each other. And with smart devices like AR glasses, that's going to enhance our intelligence by bringing up information that's not readily available in our visual cortex. And eventually, whether it's through these uh, you know, uh, smart contact lenses to eventually brain-computer interfaces, this is really the next paradigm of how intelligence will start to evolve uh, with us. And for us, you know, we're seeing this whole scaremongering about the AI doomers saying, I think, you know, as we approach this concept of the technological singularity, artificial general intelligence is going to be an intelligence that's going to be surpassing human intelligence in every single form. How do we as humans stay relevant in that era? And I think brain-computer interfaces like what Elon Musk is doing with Neuralink, with what Synchron is doing with Tom Moxley here in Australia, is we're making sure we can bridge that gap. Initially, helping people that have disabilities that might need that to bridge, say, as a neural shunt to, from their brains to their various body parts to actually help quadriplegics walk again. We've seen recently in the Netherlands that someone that's had a bike accident over 20 years ago was able to walk again through these brain and spinal uh, brain-computer interfaces. So this technology is here and now helping hundreds and thousands of people every day. And yet, as we move on and accelerate this technology, we're going to have superhuman abilities because it'll go from helping you become able to begin to giving you super abilities. And imagine having you know, access to infinite compute in terms of memory, of uh, the power of the cloud, but also access to an AI agent that helps with your cognition as well. So one of the ideas you touched on there is essentially extended mind, as in we've got our mind inside our skull, and then we're able to interface to other technologies, information through everything from smart glasses to brain computer interfaces and uh, just reading. Uh, yeah. So, so just I'd like to, to, I suppose, frame that a little as to what are the complements to our brains and our thinking? Now, how do we think around, well, what is it that the brain does well and, and complement that with what is external that we can interface with in richer and richer ways? The brain is such an amazing invention through evolution. I mean, think about this is how we became the dominant species on the planet because the neocortex that evolved over time and natural selection created that and able to use the tools that we have. Well, enhancing that with AI would actually supercharge that. So if you think about what we typically teach in school, it's a lot of learning, right? You can memorize a lot of things, mathematics, try to get to the answers in a structured way. But as we're offloading that to calculators and spreadsheets and AI agents in terms of all of those cognitive loads, we can then start focusing on a higher and higher order thinking, how we work with each other in terms of emotional intelligence, how we help these problem-solving questions around what to ask the AI agents as opposed to try to work it out ourselves. And we're already doing that, say, you know, offloading parts of our navigation through Google Maps. I'm not sure if you've seen some of those people wandering around the streets when they don't have GPS access and they just end up circling around and around and around. Uh, we've sort of uh, delegated that task already to our intelligence. We just need better connectivity to really continue to on through that path. 
But what that means is um, if we have access to brain-computer interfaces, we'll, have to op- we'll be able to upload a lot of what we need to memorize and we can focus on asking the right questions. We can offload a lot of the menial tasks in terms of what we can do digitally as well as what we put into, say, robots as well. And, uh, you know, self-driving cars is going to be an example where the menial task of just navigating on roads, not trying to fall asleep, not be distracted by the messages on your phones and being able to go 24-7 on electric and being able to charge along the way is going to really enhance and what it means to be human, right? The poor truck drivers is going to be challenging for them to reskill. Uh, that's going to be a big disruption, just like the Industrial Revolution. And I think now is the time to say, okay, well, the last mile of intelligence is starting to appear. I mean, GPT-4 only came out a few months ago and it feels like it's already become, you know, we're so accustomed to that and almost 1.4 billion people are using ChatGPT every day. It means that we're going to adapt and it means that the next evolution of technology, whether it's GPT-5 or all those open source technologies out there, um, we're going to have to start to, you know, really keep relevant. Otherwise, we are defining less and less of a niche, right, in terms of what humans are still useful for. BCIs will be that final frontier. Yeah. So the idea of cognitive offloading is, I think, you know, compelling, as in it's, as you've said, we've got calculators, we have spreadsheets. In fact, there was a great, you know, a landmark study, uh, I think over a dozen years ago, which showed that people remembered things differently if they knew they could look them up in Google later. And mm. so essentially, you say, oh, my, my brain realizes that uh, it doesn't need to store this, so it can store it. So I've got the memory, as you point out, which I think is a really important part. Uh, and that's, you know, the, you know, the East Asian uh, learning cultures in Japan yeah. and China and uh, Korea and so on are famous for cramming lots mm. of memorization <laughs> into uh, children's heads when they could probably uh. teach them something a little bit better. But... Mm. So we've got memorization. I think the navigation thing is a really interesting one as well. But it really comes out of that choice. If we can offload our cognition, mm. what does we choose to offload? And how do we sort of build that together and with what it is we are still good at? Okay, well, we'll work out what well, we consider what's important. All right, that's something humans are good at. And we, <laughs> we know hopefully a little bit between right and wrong. And we can, as you say, ask the right questions. So what are are some of the other ways in which we can distinguish the boundaries of what we might choose to, uh, you know, offload to, uh, to external cognition? Yeah, I mean, like the, the sci-fi has definitely played this out around, say, the Black Mirror episode, uh, you, know, uh, you know, basically they have the implants where you can choose what memories to eliminate, right? It's like every moment of you, right? And, you know, this person decides to eliminate the memory of their loved one when they had a breakup, and it sort of leads to the things they choose to offload in terms of a bad memory. And what does that mean to be a human? Are we just going to be continuing to pump that, uh, you know, positive experiences only and, and really have that hedonistic view of the future where we're not really experiencing everything. We're just replaying the same things that keep our happiness factors going. Um, these are the sort of things that really challenges what it means to be human in the future. And I think for us to be able to embrace that, the ethics around how do we maintain our identity yeah, that experience still can be a choice, but it has to be around guidelines of, you know, what could it, what could it have that long-term impact 
for the human experience. And so I think uh, having that choice of um, being able to not be disabled, just, you know, I think that's, that's fair. Having the choice of not aging, I think is also should be a human right, you know, just as the right to die as well in terms of your, you know, um, uh, the elimination of suffering. I think the opposite should also apply for those that want to stay healthy. And so for those that choose to, you know, really maximize their intelligence, the ones that choose to offload their cognitive blows, the choice should be there. But the education needs to be there as well to make sure we're using this in a fair and ethical way. So I want to to dig into the brain-computer interfaces in a minute. But in in a way before that, one one of the things which we're going to be interacting with the most if we're, our brains are able to interface directly with technology is, is AI. So we have human intelligence, we have artificial intelligence. And I just want to start with what you are doing now. What are your practices for using GPT or a whole array of large language models or other generative AI? So how are you finding using those today in order to augment your uh, cognition? Yeah, well, first of all, I've got to, every time I open a Chrome uh, browser, I've got the GPT-4 as a homepage. So that just constantly reminds me that I don't have to do everything from scratch. I can start with the first cut by our Java's equivalent, GPT-4, with the plugins, even though they've taken off the plugins. It was so useful to have the up-to-date information. And after that, it's actually integrating with the latest Windows 11 preview, which has Copilot already installed in the operating system. So this is truly Cortana coming to life because it can not only access the internet, but also your kernels inside the Windows operating itself. So anything, if you can't find a setting, can't be bothered doing anything to actually do this, right? (laughs) It is literally like a genie in the bottle right there. And the infinite wishes, hopefully, um, is what OpenAI will be able to continue to provide. But also looking at localized open source large language models. I got one of the 4090s because I, you know, I just needed the CUDA power and the VRAM. Um, and I think it's, it's still pretty inaccessible to most at the moment. But I think uh, now, now is the time to run these things yourself, especially in an era where you want to keep that data private and you don't want to continue to pay these tokens, you know, additional API calls when you're running these AI systems. So that enables me to run localized models with stable diffusion to create some generative AI art to help with creativity and to populate some of the posters and the AI art just to make your emails look a little bit prettier, to be more engaging. That's always a great start. And it can even do video content. So if you wanted to make it visual and and actually motion happening through it to get that engagement as well, Um, the the Deforum plugin and Stable Diffusion has been an awesome tool for me to play that with. Um, Obviously, you have MidJourney and all those sort of things, which is great to make it a quick win. Um, But yeah, again, that's the subscriber cost that you'll have. Um, I see that running your local models, though, will be the feature for enterprises. So what is the the best uh, local large language model you've uh, implemented so far? Yeah, I'm using the Falcon 40B at the moment. Right. So this is, uh, you know, it's about, you can probably get it for a few gigabytes, but when you run it on a 4090, it still takes a bit of a lag to run because you're literally including that entire model. So you can do things like the Vacuna 7B one, which is, you know, a lot lighter, still takes a few seconds to run, but it's usable. What's interesting is that, um, you know, there, there's, such an open developer ecosystem out there that people are starting to have these AI agents 
interact with each other. And so it's creating this sort of complexity that emerges, right, from simple rules, but it's AI agents, right? So there's a GPT-level powered, GPT-4-level powered agents talking to each other. And it's starting to create an infinite universe of, say, Xena Warrior Princess crossing over to Marvel DC and uh, something like Open Characters is a GitHub that we're playing around with. It's pretty exciting to see how these virtual virtual worlds are actually appearing in front of our eyes right now. Yeah, I was uh, in San Francisco recently and lucked out uh, getting to this uh, multi-agent simulations event, which uh, with the monks, uh, other people, the um, uh, I've got a surname, Will, who Will Wright, who is the founder of The Sims, and so obviously kind of the regenerator of, of simulation. But the whole the whole event was all around saying, well, multi-agent uh, simulations where agents are primarily AI generated but also which could have some humans in there as well in creating these uh, you know, multi-agent worlds where agents are humans, uh, AI is, are humans. And so essentially this premise that we could have a intelligence, which is in fact not just a single one, but one which is comprised of a million interacting AIs or agents out of which a collective intelligence emerges if you get those right <laughs> kinds of interaction. It's pretty amazing. I mean, when AutoGPT first came out, it was mind-blowing because it had the integration with 11 labs, so it vocalized the tasks as it was set out. So all it asks is for you to give it a goal, and then it would set out another spin-out new agents to self fulfill that goal through subtasks, and it just continues to run, right, if you give it the sort of you know, the ability to have continuously running, it'll never end. It'll just crank up your open AI credits. But if you run that locally, right, this is uh, something that's really interesting. And now they've productized it by some of these private companies. One of them is called HyperWrite, and that's just a plug-in that you can install on Chrome. They recently released the personal assistant feature. It's in alpha 0.01, but basically you could tell it to say, go on LinkedIn and post on the popular generative AI posts and leave a comment right so in that way you get engagement in that community and it actually understands that goal looks at the website that you're looking at scrapes through it scrolls down clicks on various posts and actually makes the comment itself so it was quite freaky when i actually made the comment and actually posted <laughs> the fact that that technology was Your productized name. in the space of yeah under my account and so the fact that that technology has been productized so quickly and that AutoGPT now has also got plugins, so you can plug it into Twitter and all the other socials. You can give it a MetaMask account, so you can have a crypto wallet. These AI agents might actually start generating an income stream, which they can then use as a budget to then allocate resources to, I guess, maybe enhance their capabilities. Like, it's not very successful at the moment. They're saying it's about 30% success rate of completing a particular goal, but this is early days, and it's moving quite quick. So are there any, any specific tasks or outcomes or projects where you have uh, applied uh, agent, agent-based, you know, GBT or GBT or baby AGI or anything? Yeah, baby AGI was really great. I mean, so the simplicity of it, right? And, you know, being able to combine that with LangChain. I've deployed it one where it's just outreach for transhumanism. So connecting that to the transhumanism AU Twitter account and uh, letting it run amok. 
and, you know, just gave it a dedicated budget, you know, max out the credits and it'll stop eventually. Um, but it was a, it worked pretty well. It uh, connected up to my Twitter. It posted, did a bit of research. So Googled what is transhumanism. It delegated a, a task of writing an article post about it and uh, tweeted that entire article and also left a crypto wallet on that end as a donation button. So, yeah, it was just to see, you know, some, some simple marketing things will already be automated through this process. Very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. So we've got incredible capabilities from AI. And as we were alluding to, now we can, we are, we begin to have some brain computer interfaces uh, of various kinds. And so this has been a long time interest of mine as well. And it's kind of been evident to me for a long time that this is the you know, the next frontier. If when humans become more than human, it will be through direct interface of our cognition to uh, you know, cognitive technologies. Yeah. So do you want to, well, however, however you want to take it. I mean, you could do, a, <laughs> I suppose, a quick overview of uh, the brain computer interface space, but but also yeah. just what, what's most exciting to you at the moment? Yeah, you know, what's really exciting is the accessibility of it now. So there's two types of brain computers uh, interfaces generally. There's the invasive ones where you see maybe from the Neuralink videos, they plug it into a, a pig, a monkey who's playing Pong and getting rewarded with banana smoothies. And it's really good at playing Pong now, so I probably wouldn't want to challenge it. And then there's the non-invasive ones. So these ones have come out, you know, over a decade ago. So companies like Emotive, um, based in Australia, they're one of the states raised more capital. And the fact that you can wear this just like a pair of glasses, having that sort of sensory node, measuring your EEG brainwaves is a way to actually get some simple signals, but actually something that's practical and useful. There's a particular signal called the P300, and so that's basically the neurons firing, you're recognizing something or someone or something that you're expecting to happen. And this particular measure can do simple classifications, like maybe when they're lying or maybe they're actually seeing having a panic attack or, you know, it's having a sort of adverse reaction. So there's a lot of use cases right now. But what's interesting is that when we had a talk from Dr. Avinash Singh at the University of Technology in Sydney, he's actually about to release a paper. And with simple EEG devices like that, you can do a pretty good job because of the convergence of generative AI to start taking that signal fine-tuning it against some people that are looking at images and measuring the brainwaves through the EEG there, and then applying that into the generative models for new people with those brainwaves. So that means that you can actually visualize what the brainwaves are doing with a simple non-invasive device, such as an apple, a scooter, a car, a tree. Um, those things are starting to come together. And with things like stable diffusion, stitching that together in a time series is going to play a video of that. And so if you're wearing this while you're asleep and you're having some dreams, this is a way to start having a pretty you know, rough sketch of what your dreams might have looked like. And I think that's one of the killer apps, killer consumer apps, the brain computer interfaces for today. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, 
For, I'm still, you know, I still think that if we look at the unexplained questions, the, the things that science doesn't understand, for me, one of the biggest ones on the list is why we dream. I mean, I just heard a leading scientist proposer, another of the many possibilities, and it's, uh, you know, and I don't think it's very solid. It's, there's just so many, it's speculation, really. And uh, it's one of the, of course, reasons why we sleep is we we need REM sleep. We need to dream in order to function and to be well. And so if we can interface better to our dreams, that potentially could amplify our identity, our personality. Uh, That's a pretty extraordinary uh, domain to be exploring. Yeah, it's very inception, you know, if you're starting to train yourself in your dreams, like you're getting an extra eight hours, right? And if you accumulate that over 10,000 hours, you're pretty master any particular subject over a period of time. Um, so yeah, very matrix. But, uh, you know, as you say, I think as, as we get into invasive, a brain computer faces, that's really taking that to the next level. The fidelity of those dreams already you were seeing with fMRIs that you can get a pretty good image in the video context already. But then with things that can read and write to the brain, like when we're using AI to decipher the brain waves to then be able to understand the brain better and that positive feedback loop happens, um, writing to the brain it will give you that extra skill set. And who wants to learn all this time? Why don't I just download the memory like they did, like Keanu Reeves and, <laughs> and Nick well, Kambu? <laughs> so... So for, I've got to say, uh, I'm pretty skeptical about a lot of what Elon says about uh, Neuralink. He kind of sort of waves oh, his yeah. hand in the air around what do and says, oh, we're going to be able to learn things. But I'm not sure that that's really clear from what they are currently doing. It's kind of like the speculation. So yeah. are you aware of anything substantive which could help us actually write to, mm. uh, to mind as opposed to simply be able to use our brain to control external environments? Yeah, it's very blunt at the moment. If you think about the, you know, the TDCS, right? You know, the stimulation of the brain, we actually uh, helping us with current stimulation. Yeah. Current stimulation. You know, this is, uh, you know, people that have maybe um, Alzheimer's that could actually start to see, you know, some improvements through that through that blunt instrument. And they've been doing this with the Utah arrays already, right? So, how do you actually miniaturize that and get more and more touch points, right? Touch points into the, the various regions of the brain. Of course, there's so much we still don't understand about the brain, which is why it's an interesting pursuit to surely you know, overpromise, but the whole engineering feat of creating robots that be able to do the surgeries to make sure you avoid those blood vessels, to have the accuracy levels, to be able to implant more and more of these threads and basically in the neural link, this will actually help us better understand the brain. So that cycle of really measurement, if you you can't really quantify and try to improve what you can't measure. And so that's the starting point. And so you'll improve your models based on those higher fidelity signals again in that brain. And then those machine learning models will then be able to interpret what those sort of things are doing, just like they were doing on the animals, right? Seeing when they're moving, the three little pigs demos, um, as they walk, make predictions of what the actions will be. And so that's getting the motor sort of neurons going through it. And of course, skill sets, right? That's such a that's such an intangible concept that we have no idea how our brain works. But the more data points, hopefully we can get to a rough estimation. And even if it's just a rough estimate, imagine if you had a rough estimate of saying, you know, of various skills that took people tens of thousands of hours to do, 
right? If you manage to get like 10% of that, I'd still go for it, right? As long as it's not something that's, you know, damaging or, you know, traumatizing, um, you're going to make sure it's tested well, of course. We definitely wouldn't be patient zero for that. But, um, you know, it's something that really want to see accelerate um, and it helped us. Yeah, with our quest for knowledge of how it might actually work. So, but the moment we're still in this gap where anything which is invasive uh, is only used for people that have physical disabilities, where there's you know very pragmatic applications still very early on, and for the non-invasive, it's still basically based on EEG, which is is gives, gives us some ability or to control external environments, and there is mm. fMRI, of course, except. You know, a couple of challenges with that. One is very expensive, very big machine. Uh, uh, you got to stick yourself in it. And uh, also, you know, there's also some time lags with it as well. So I suppose, what, have you played around uh, with any of the current EEG or, or similar devices now? I and mean, what, what's your view on what's good now in terms of being able to, uh, to begin to play with some of these interfaces? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like quirky, but you can do some basic things, right? Like, you know, they had the BB-8 demo many years ago with IBM. So really, they're saying you could use the EEG headset almost like the force. So the force is real. It's called Wi-Fi, and your brain really controls what those signals are doing. And you're able to get this little BB-8 robot that rolls across the ground. You know, you're training it on your signals, so forward, left, back. So that's some basic ones. They did it to drones as well. So you're kind of like, you know, Magneto and you're controlling a swarm of drones with your mind. And so, you know, just make sure you're, you're not dealing with the wrong person there or start to make the person angry. They'll start to deploy that. But that's some basic things you could do right now on the sort of the directional side. Um, I've also seen people playing games, you know, like say Elden Ring. You actually have to control various con- <laughs> buttons in the game controller to play games. It's a nice quirk. But at the same time, it's like, how is this going to be useful? Well, we're going to start seeing these you know, EG headsets integrate with VR devices, AR devices, so it really improves how we're interacting with these immersive worlds. So, of course, the Apple Vision Pro is already sort of a semi-brain you know, brain computer interface because it looks at your pupil dilation. And if you're expecting something to click, it pupils dilate a little bit, and that helps with the latency of the controls. Well, they also, I think, with Snap, they bought a company called NextMind, and this NextMind is an EEG device at the back of your head, and Snap is really pivoting to become a camera company, so they're going to come out with glasses, and you're going to see these EEG devices come out to basically be able to interact with your mind through that P300 measurement. So you'd be able to say, select things, take a photo, take a snap, change a filter, um, make it a lot more interactive so that your hands could be doing something, whereas your mind could actually control an additional element. And of course, that's going to go a long way to help people that have disabilities as well. Um, and finally, I think, uh, you know, with companies like Meta, uh, they're already seeing measuring the signals like control labs. That's going to improve the fidelity of the controllers so that, you know, just as a wristband, we'll be able to uh, be that man in the middle control measurement of your brain signals to your hand. So, yeah, this doesn't have to be invasive, right? A lot of the things will become more and more natural. Um, but yeah, we're still seeing the integration of this technology. It's really accessing the brain. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I wrote a blog post when Snap acquired NextMind. It was because uh, I thought that was a pretty strong signal. Yeah. Where if we're, yeah. we're going to be wearing these glasses, now you can actually integrate a uh, brain computer interface. And as you yeah. say, there's a uh, it's there's a whole ecosystem there which uh, directly plugging into your 
your BCIs. Mm. So what are the, what are the, I suppose, any tips or suggestions or recommendations for people who say today, what are the things which you could do to amplify your cognition? What are some of the things you do or some suggestions, you know, these practical steps to what can we do to, uh, think better in a, uh, using all of these uh, amazing uh, technologies. Yeah. Now I say the best way to learn is from doing. And so, you know, embracing these technologies, if you're not using ChatGPT, I don't know where you've been, right? But just, yeah, don't be afraid. Just give it a go. Um, you know, as long as you're you know, happy with the privacy features, you can turn that uh, browsing feature off as well. Um, you've also got a whole raft of different plugins now that usually are initially free, you know, for a certain amount of use. So go check out this HyperWrite thing. Go check out a lot of these tools like Midjourney, Stable Diffusion. Have a go because you're going to start to see in your particular area problems that you face from day to day, whether it's drafting an email or writing an article, going out to create some images and design tools, trying to create more and more of that focus, more of your mind on doing that first part. Staring at the blank paper is the scariest part of the journey. And so using these tools in your everyday life is a great start. And with these EEG devices, you know, some of them are becoming more and more accessible. And some of them are a couple of hundred dollars and you can actually, you know, eventually 3D print them as well. So some of the prototypes are doing at the UTS Human Augmentation Lab. You can do a lot of those designs. But yeah, order one off the shelf and uh, play around to see what sort of things is going on up there and see what sort of cool things, cool use cases you can start to apply in controlling the physical things around you. And I always say, you know, the best party trick to a kid is to be able to show that you are a Jedi. And so <laughs> being able to do that would be very impressive, whether as a dad or as someone that's really trying to show it off. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's all uh, to to learn learn by doing. It's the uh, it's it's the only way. Yeah. So, where can people go to find out uh, more about your work and what you're doing? Which I think you've had a recent transition. Yeah, thanks so much, Ross. Yeah, I left my long term job at uh, KPMG as uh, a global emerging tech director, looking at generative AI, Web three, and the metaverse to actually pursue transhumanism full time. It's been a labor of love over the last eight years. Ever since I heard about the concept when I was at Deloitte through Singularity University, uh, Dan Ray Kurzweil and his predictions like it really was a deep rabbit hole, and I never turned back. And so transhumanism.com.au is where you'll be able to find us. Be able to check out some of our upcoming events. We're based at Stone and Chalk in the Sydney Startup Pub, and we're incubating startups that are really accelerating our transhuman future. So, yeah, feel free to reach out and pop a time in the Calendly. Uh, if you want to hear out more, we'll go through from there. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time and your insights, Peter. Thanks so much, Ross. We're having fun. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day.